Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. You have your Bibles today. I want to ask you to take them with me and open to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel to 1 Samuel chapter 3 for our time together this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 3. As we open God's word together today, I want to ask you a question that I really want to challenge you to consider. Um, It might sound like a simple question. It may sound like a trick question to some of you, but the answer to this question really can be quite profound. That question is this, in your life, whose word are you trusting? In your life, whose word are you trusting? Whose word word is it that you take to heart and you seek to apply and ultimately live by in your life, in your life, whose word do you trust? Now, that might sound like a strange question to some extent, but the fact of the matter is, is that we hear words and messages from just about everybody and everything around us. We today in our culture have the media and the news that's always giving us a word, always giving us a message, always with an angle, okay? And so the question is, is in a culture like that, where we're inundated with the media messages, how do we know what's true and how do we not, uh, how do we know what's false along the way? Not only do we have the media, but we have all sorts of advertisers that spend tons and tons of money with their clever cliches and trying to get us to accept certain words and messages as truth. How do we discern in the midst of all that what is really true and what isn't? And then, of course, every single one of us seem to have at least a few people in our life that whether we ask for it or not, they love to give their two cents worth of opinion of what we should be or do in any given situation. There are a lot of messages in the world. And in the midst of that, then we have the professionals, the, the counselors, the advisors, hello, the life coaches today, or those who wish they were and instead blog, right? There are all sorts of messages of all these different things that we should know and do along the way. How do you discern what's true and how do you determine which to live by? Because of the fact of the matter is, is that even the professionals can be wrong. Even the professionals can lead us wrong. I'm convinced this morning that whose word we are trusting not only impacts our life today, but it ultimately determines the direction that we are moving into in the future. I was reminded of that this past week. This past Monday was a very kind of strange evening in our family's household because Uh, We have two children now playing basketball, and they were playing basketball in the same gym on Monday night in Stanton at two different times. My daughter, Gracie, was playing at 4.30 in the afternoon slash evening, and my my son, Mac, was playing on the same gym floor, same area, at 7.30 p.m., and so there was a kind of a big gap in between the two games. Not only that, but we had some good friends from Christiansburg that also happened to be in Stanton at another school, at another gym, and their daughter was playing at 5.30. And so we had a clever plan. That plan was Heather and I would meet in Stanton in two different vehicles at 4.30. We'd watch Gracie's game. We'd drive across the big city of Stanton, the big town of Stanton, four and a half miles. We'd see our friends from Christiansburg for a little while. And at the end of that game, 
Heather would take our three younger kids home to do homework and things, and I would go back across Stanton to watch my son Max game and support him. And so that was our grand plan. But who knows that even the professionals can be wrong along the way in life. 4.30, we watched Gracie's game. Her team played great. We cheered her on. We supported her. The game ended. And so it was time to go to meet our friends across the big town of Stanton. So Gracie said, Daddy, can I ride with you? I said, absolutely. She got into my vehicle. I pulled up my phone. I opened the app to Google Maps, the professionals, okay? And I typed in the address to the direction that I was going to. And I looked and I should have caught the fact that something was off. The other gym was four and a half miles away but the time required was 18 minutes. I should have known that something was off, but I didn't. I determined Google Maps could never be wrong. The professionals must be right. And so I pushed start, I put the vehicle in gear, and I began driving. I drove about two miles, so finally I was driving down the road, and the Google Maps lady said, turn right. And so sure enough, I looked and I saw, and I turned right to suddenly realize I was on an old dirt road. But I determined Google Maps can't be wrong. They are the professionals and I love a good adventure. And so uh, I pushed the gas and I continued driving down that dirt road. About a half a mile later, Google Maps lady said again, take a left. And so I turned left and suddenly within about 100 yards, the dirt road turned into an old abandoned trail. But hey, I got four-wheel drive. I'm up for an adventure. Let's see where this goes. Google Maps could never be wrong, I reasoned in my mind. And so Gracie and I are driving and only God knows where Stanton, Virginia, and we're driving down this old trail and and we passed an old abandoned shed. And I'm going to be honest, as soon as I passed it, I thought, man, it's getting a little shady back here. You know what I mean? Like I'm looking over at Gracie and Gracie's looking at me like, I trust you, dad, you know, and and I'm driving and, and I'm convinced Google Maps can't be wrong. And I'm thinking, well, maybe this is just a shortcut through the woods. And the next thing I know, we come to a dead end at this old abandoned cabin. This thing had probably been been abandoned for like 50 to 100 years. I mean, it just seemed like nobody ever could live in this place. And so I put the vehicle in park, and literally the only light we have is basically the light of the moon. And I pull up my phone to think, what in the world's going on? And Gracie said, Daddy? And by the time I looked up, and as God was my witness, the front door of that cabin swung open. (laughs) I've seen a few too many horror movies in my life. Let me tell you what I did. I threw that truck in reverse. I backed up. I put it in drive and I floored it. I mean, I, I was gone. As God, about that time, Heather calls me and I answered. I said, hey, she said, where are you? We've been here for 10 minutes. And I said, I, 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 don't, know where, I don't know where I'm at. She said, what are you doing? You sound like you're out of breath. I said, I'm running from a serial killer. That's what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> I was flying. I was flying, and then I found out Friday that I need a front wheel alignment in my vehicle now. I have no idea why, but anyway, as God is my witness, like why, why did I get in that predicament? I got in that predicament because I trusted that the professionals, that the voice of reason in that moment was giving me the right direction. Of course, I eventually got to the main road, got my sense of what was going on, and eventually, two hours later, found my way to the gym. But anyway, not quite that long. So, Pastor, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's important the words that you receive and the words that you trust. So my question for us this morning is this, do you trust the word of God? Do you receive it? Do you trust it? And do you obey it? 
First Samuel chapter three, we study the life of Samuel and I wanna preach you on the subject, trusting the word of God. In Samuel's life, we see him demonstrated in Hebrews chapter 11, see him illustrated rather, as one of these individuals who lived by faith. The Bible says it this way in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 34, it says, what more shall I say for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who did what? By faith, they conquered kingdoms, they performed acts of righteousness, they obtained promises, they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness, they were made strong, they became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. In short, the entire chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, is simply the summary of ordinary people that God did extraordinary things in and through simply because they were willing to trust God and obey. Even in difficult situations, even when all odds were against them, even when it seemed humanly impossible, they had such a dynamic faith that they were willing to trust God and obey regardless of the circumstance and regardless of the consequence. That's what real faith is. Faith is not about the feel-goods. Faith is not about the amens. Faith is not about the oh yes. No, faith is about obeying God in spite of the circumstance or the consequence. We see that demonstrated all throughout Samuel's life. In fact, if you haven't read them, I would encourage you this week especially to read 1 Samuel 12 through 1 Samuel 16 because what you'll see is each passage after another, we see Samuel walking and living by faith. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel demonstrates faith in the way that he prays and intercedes for God's people. They're in a battle against the Philistines and all the odds were against them. And he prayed for them, believing that God could save them. And guess what? God did. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Bible tells that King Saul had been given very clear instructions from God, but he compromised and he didn't obey God. And Samuel in great faith understood what God wanted him to do. And he stood against King Saul and he confronted King Saul in his sin, even though it meant that he could have been killed and he could face all sorts of persecution. In faith, he obeyed God. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, when the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit had departed from Saul, the Bible says that God looked at Samuel and said, don't grieve over Saul, get up and go to another place because I'm gonna have you anoint someone else. And of course, Samuel would go and anoint a young boy by the name of David to be the next king. Even when it seemed uh, shocking and even when it seemed David was just a small, ruddy shepherd boy, even then Samuel walked by faith. The question I hope to answer about Samuel's life this morning is this. Where did it all begin? Where did he learn to pray with such incredible faith in 1 Samuel chapter 12? Where did Samuel learn to stand up to mighty men and say, thus says the Lord, like he said in 1 Samuel chapter 15? Where did the grown man Samuel learn to obey God even when he couldn't understand all that God was doing in 1 Samuel 16? Where did he get that? When did he learn it? Did this happen overnight? I believe the Bible shows us the foundation for where he learned this in 1 Samuel chapter 3. This message this morning is so simple. The message of how Samuel responds to the word of the Lord is so simple, but I am convinced of this. If we will apply the same truth in our lives today, the impact will be profound of what God does in us and through us for his glory. Trusting 
the word of God. If you're able to do so physically, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? First Samuel chapter three, I'm gonna read the entire chapter, so hang with me here this morning. The Bible says, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, that the Lord called Samuel. And he said, Samuel did, here I am. He ran to Eli and said, here I am, Eli, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, Eli, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, it shall be if he calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, key statement of the day, Speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day, I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which, key statement, he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Verse 15. So Samuel lay down until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. He said, what is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, Eli did, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Thus, here's the result. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fail. All of Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning and for the time we have to open your word and to study it, to read it. God, I pray today that we would not just let it go in one ear and out the other, but I pray that we would truly receive it within our hearts today. God, I pray that every single one of us individually, and then of course as a corporate body of believers, that today this would be our response and our prayer, that we would say, speak, Lord, for we are listening. And God, I pray that we'd be surrendered to you, whatever it is that you call us to do. May it be for your glory and praise. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you so much. As we've opened God's word and read, I want to preach to you this morning on the subject, trusting the word of God. As I think about Samuel's life and the many extraordinary things that God did in him and through him as an adult, 
it causes me to go back to this passage of scripture to identify where it all began. Not only do we see this from 1 Samuel chapter three, where it began, but we also see why it continued. Because the truth of the matter is what we see him do in 1 Samuel chapter three, we see him continue throughout the course of his life. So this morning, as we think about trusting God's word, I want us to consider two primary points, but four applications that we learn from the example of Samuel. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the priority of a right response to God's word. The priority of a right response to God's word. This morning, I wanna remind us today that it should be a priority in our life that every time we hear God's word, that we respond in a way that pleases him. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, literally there should be a yearning within us, a longing within us that will cause us that when we hear God's word, not to try to twist it, not to try to excuse it, not to try to ignore it or deny it, but instead to have a right response to God's word. Truth be told is that even that simple reality is one of the demonstrations that we are a child of God. Uh, Isn't it true of a child that if they are in a relationship with their father or their mother, let's say they know that they're in a nurturing, loving environment, a child will naturally desire to please their parent. They will naturally desire to do a certain thing to bring honor and to bring pleasure to their parent. The same is true for us as a child of God. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, literally the longing of our hearts will be to be pleasing to the Lord in all things. I believe we see that in the context of this pastor scripture. We see the priority of a right response to God's word. Now, the Bible tells us here of a very interesting kind of background to build the story for what's happening. The Bible tells us that God spoke to Samuel specifically in a time where God's word was very rare. God was not speaking on a consistent or common basis in that day. Not only was he not speaking in a consistent common basis, nor was he giving visions in that day. And the Bible then introduces to us two main characters. There's the man by the name, a little boy, a young boy by the name of Samuel. Samuel has been raised in the temple at this point for many years. Most scholars believe at this moment Samuel was about 12 years old. In other words, he was the age of a middle schooler, okay? Let that sink in for just a moment. That's the person that God is going to speak to in this passage of scripture. Samuel was the young boy who his mother was unable to have a child. In 1 Samuel chapter one, the Bible says she went to the temple and she prayed. And the Bible says that she prayed, God, would you give me a child? And God, if you give me a child, I'll dedicate him to you that he will live for you all the days of his life. Well, God heard her prayer. God touched her womb. She conceived and had a child, a little boy by the name of Samuel. The Bible says that she raised him until she could wean him. Which means to us, not only does she complete nursing him, but he now is at least at a stage of some sort of independence to where literally she brought him to the temple where he was raised in the temple uh, there as Eli, the high priest, oversaw the duties of the temple. And so Samuel, most scholars believe when he was dedicated, was about three or four years old. And so he's been there since he's three or four. He's now 12 years old. Then the Bible tells us about the other key character, and that is Eli. Eli is the high priest. He oversees the various ministry needs at the temple. Eli, the Bible says, at this point is an elderly man, and he's dealing with some health issues. He, he needed Samuel to help take care of him. We understand that his eyesight was very poor. He was going blind, and so he's in a very fragile and frail place. But far beyond the physical condition, there was a major spiritual issue that was happening both in his life and in the life of his ministry. And the Bible says that God's word was rare. rare. Well, why was God's word rare? 
It was rare because of what was happening amongst Eli and his son's lives. The Bible tells us in the previous chapter that Eli had two sons, and these sons were devoted, but they began to turn to their own ways. The Bible says that they began to look out for their own well-being. And so literally, when people were bringing offerings and they were offering sacrifices on the altar and bringing these animals, the Bible says that Eli's two sons were so selfish and were so focused on their own benefit that literally they took a fork to the altar and they got the best of the meat for themselves. When you're at Thanksgiving this Thursday and you see somebody do that, remind them of Eli's sons, okay? They walked to the altar. They got the best meat for themselves, not wanting it to be for the Lord. The Bible says not only did that happen, but there were various women that were there at the temple who served and ministered in various ways. And the Bible says that Eli's sons began to manipulate them and to deceive them and to lure them, and they began to sleep around with them. The very people who had claimed to honor God and serve God, Eli's two sons were using their offices in a way that were abusing uh, people and a way that were ultimately dishonoring the name of God. But here's the other reality. Eli found out about it. And Eli went to them and basically said, shame on you, but he never rebuked them for their sin. And he never removed them from office. And as a result of that, what happened is, is it allowed the people, it allowed his sons to continue to sin. It allowed them to continue to make a mockery of the temple of God. And so in this context, God looks and he says, I didn't speak very much in those days. I didn't give a word to the people in those days because of the sin that was happening amongst Eli and his sons and even throughout the kingdom. I didn't speak much. But let me tell you about what I said to Samuel. Samuel was only about 12 years old, but don't you know this morning, even though he was just a young boy, and even he was most likely a middle schooler, God is no respecter of persons. He is not concerned about the age, the life stage, your size, your color. He's not concerned male or female. He's concerned about the condition of your heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says it this way, For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looked at Samuel, and even though he was a young boy, God saw his heart. God saw how Samuel was taking care tenderly of the aging Eli and trying to minister to him and help him. God saw how Samuel was working in the temple to keep things clean and tidy and make things nice. God saw how Samuel was keeping the, the lampstand lit at all times. God saw Samuel's heart in his service. That's why the Bible says that Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. God looking at Samuel, even though he was just a young boy, God had a greater plan for him than he could have imagined, and so God called him Samuel. Samuel gets up, runs to Eli. Yes, Eli, what is it? I didn't call you. Go lay back down. God calls again, Samuel. Samuel gets up. He runs again to Eli. Eli, what is it? I, I'm awake. I'm here to help you. Oh, I didn't call you. The third time this happens, and Eli might have been physically being blind, but spiritually he was not blind at all. He discerned that the Lord was calling Samuel. So he looks at Samuel and he says, Samuel, this must be the Lord. This must be the one I have been telling you about. This must be the one who called me to service. This must be the one who chose Israel as his chosen people. This must be the one the Lord's calling you when he calls Samuel, say this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It's at that point I want to pick up four applications from the life of Samuel on how he responded to the voice of the Lord. Four things I want us to consider this morning as we trust God's word. Number one, 
If we're gonna have a right response to God's word, we must first and foremost welcome the word of God. We must welcome the word of God into our hearts and lives. Now, I am thankful that Eli gave this instruction to Samuel. I'm thankful that he told him clearly, Samuel, when God calls again, here's what you do. You're to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I'm thankful that Eli gave that instruction. But please understand, that does not discount the fact that Samuel did it. It does not discount his willingness to say this. It does not discount his willingness to respond in a way that would bring glory and honor to the Lord. The Bible tells us the third time Samuel goes back to his bed or his cot almost, if you will, and he lays down again. And I'm sure in that moment as Samuel for the third time lays down, he's kind of wondering in that moment, what would the Lord want with me? I'm just a 12-year-old boy. What would God really say to me that he couldn't say to Eli? Why would God want to talk to me and not talk to Eli? What does all this mean? I'm sure as Samuel laid back down on that bed for the third time, he was contemplating all sorts of questions. What could this mean for him and what could this mean for others? Would the Lord truly be speaking to him? No doubt as he's laying in bed contemplating now after three times getting up and going across the room to check on the aging Eli, he lays back down as he's contemplating it all. Finally, the Lord speaks again and the Lord speaks to clarify to make sure he knew he was calling him. He said his name twice, Samuel, Samuel. In other words, there was a restlessness there. He continued to call, continued to speak, continued to get his attention. And in that moment, Samuel had a decision to make. Do I welcome the Lord or do I not? Do I receive what he has to say to me or do I try to tune it out? What do you do in that moment? Well, I'm thankful in that moment that he welcomed the word of God. Here's how he did it. He started off with one simple word. He said, speak, speak. In other words, this word speak in its context is a word of allowance and acceptance. It's as if Samuel is saying, yes, Lord, please speak. I do want to hear. I do want to know what you have for me. I do want to know what it is that you have to say. Please understand this morning that God does not need our permission to speak to us. God can speak when he wants and how he wants to accomplish his purpose. However, a right response to God always involves a welcomed readiness to hear the word of God. A right response to God always involves a welcomed readiness to hear the word of God. Samuel was just a boy, but he was open and he was welcomed to hear the word of God. In fact, perhaps it was because he was just a boy and didn't have all the responsibilities of an adult and all the distractions of an adult and all the uh, challenges of an adult. No, he came with a humble, and a humble heart and an openness to welcome whatever God had for him. It causes me to wonder this morning, have you ever considered what your actions are communicating to God about his word have you ever considered about whether your actions are communicating a welcomeness to receiving God's word or not? Oftentimes we think that we are taking in God's word because we're hearing it, but hearing it and actually taking it in are two totally different things. It causes me to ask, are we truly welcoming and inviting to the word of God in our lives? Let me illustrate that for just a moment. We all know what it means to feel welcomed somewhere right? Ever been welcomed somewhere and you, you went there and you knew that you're welcome and then maybe you went some other place and you knew that you weren't so welcome. Uh, recently, I went into a local um, hardware store. I'll just say it that way. I'll leave the names out for illustration's sake. 
I went into a local hardware store and, and I had a, a specific project that I was pricing. Now I have to be honest, I know this is gonna shock you, I'm not much of a carpenter, okay? Don't ask me to frame a wall to your house because it'll end up as crooked as it can be. That's not my, my uh, gift by any means, but there was a small project that I was working on and, and here's, how, here's how professional it was. I had taken a sheet of paper and I had drawn it out on paper and I'd figure out exactly how many boards I needed, how many screws I needed and a few tools that I needed. And so I went to a local hardware store. I knew it basic idea of what I needed, but there were some things I wasn't sure about. And so I walked into the store and I began to look at the lumber and I was kind of pricing my project out and I was trying to figure out whether I should use nails here or screws here. And frankly, I needed some help. And so I began to walk through the aisles of that store looking for someone to help me. I probably went through six to eight aisles and and I, and I saw, I don't know, five or six employees, but frankly, everybody was busy doing their own thing. Everybody had a responsibility. And, and, and I stopped and asked a few people, but they were focused on something else. And I finally found someone that seemed friendly. And I said, hey, boy, I need help in this section. Can you page somebody? He said, absolutely. And so I went and I sat in that section for about five minutes. Heard nothing, saw nothing. Everybody had their own thing. And so eventually, you know what I did? I practiced the freedom that I have as an American. And I walked right out of that store Grabbed my keys, got in the vehicle, cranked it up, and drove across the street to another hardware store. That's what I did. And when I walked into the other hardware store, truth be told, I walked in. I was about 50 yards into the shop when someone saw me. This employee saw me and said, Pastor Matt. And they came up to me, and they hugged me and said, how are you doing? How is your family? What are y'all doing for Thanksgiving? And then they asked, what's in your hand? Do you need any help? And I said, I need tons of help. And so I talked a little bit about the project. And here's the reality. Let me ask you a question. Which of those stores do you think I felt welcomed in? Pretty easy, isn't it? I felt welcomed in the one that made it a priority. I felt welcomed in the one that intentionally took time, that came out of their way, that hugged my neck, and they embraced me in that moment. You know, so often when it comes to God's word, frankly... We're like the employees in the other place where, frankly, we're busy, we're distracted, we've got this in life, and we've got this in life, and we've got this responsibility, and this thing that we're pursuing, and this time that we're not really investing well, and we're pursuing all these other things. And so often with God and with his word, welcoming your word, it's not really that important. I've got other things I need to do. We must be welcome to receiving God's word. This is what God had in mind in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, when he literally said, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That word dwell means literally that we are to welcome God's word into every area of our life, letting God's word be, be residing in our life. When you go home this afternoon, you are going to feel welcomed in your home. You're going to feel the freedom to open the door and go into every room. Why? Because it's your house. And the idea is in the same way, we're to let God's word be welcomed into our life, into every room and corner of it. Secondly, if we're going to have a right response to God's word, we must welcome it. But secondly, we must surrender to the word of God. We must surrender to the word of God. I love Samuel's statement. Again, did Eli instruct it? Yes, but Samuel was willing to pray it. He was willing to say it. He was willing to live it. What did he say? He said, speak. I want to hear from you, Lord. But then the next statement, your servant is listening. In this moment, even in this phrase, what we're finding is that Samuel was completely surrendered to whatever God had for him. He said, your servant is listening. Please understand that when Samuel heard the word of the Lord, he didn't say, Lord, tell me what you want so that I can think about whether or not I want to do it. He didn't say, God, go ahead, go ahead and give it to me. I'm ready, and then I'll, I'll chew on it. I'll think about it. I'll figure out what, what I can do. I'll figure out what's easy. God, I'll figure out if I want to do it or not. No, he said, speak for 
your servant is listening. A servant, by very definition, is someone who sets aside all rights of his own to serve another. In other words, a servant of God is someone who has voluntarily set aside his or her personal rights in order to love, serve, and obey the will of God. Maybe another way of saying it is simply this. A servant doesn't live their life for themselves, but for the will of the one whom they are serving. In other words, it may not make sense to us. We may not like it. It may not be easy. It might be challenging. It may require great sacrifices. It may be completely uncomfortable. It may be completely different than what we were thinking. But if we are servants of God, we will seek to surrender to him and do whatever he says to do. One of the illustrations I love about that is Jesus' first miracle in John chapter 2. Maybe you remember the story when Jesus was at the wedding in Cana in John chapter 2. And the Bible says he was there at the wedding and they were serving wine at the reception and they ran out of wine. This is an incredibly embarrassing, humiliating thing to happen in that culture. And the Bible says that Mary came over to Jesus and I kind of in my imagination and vision, she looked at Jesus because she knew Jesus could do something about it. And so she goes over to him and we're like, they're, they're out of wine. Like, what can you do here, right? And, and then she finally looks, the Bible says, at the servants. Now remember, Jesus had not yet performed a miracle yet in his earthly life, okay? So, so these guys had no reason to understand what he was saying or even to think about doing what he's about to say. But she looks at them in John chapter two, verse five, and the Bible says, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, what's the phrase? Do it. Long before Nike was famous, Mary said, just do it, okay? That's what she's saying here. So they look at Jesus, all right? And Jesus said, yeah, See those stone water pots right there? Go take them and fill them up with water. That made no sense. What could he possibly do with stone pots filled with water? And so they took these massive stone pots, they go and fill them with water. Please understand, this was inconvenient. These things were heavy. Nothing about this was easy. And it was right during the middle of the wedding reception. Come on, Jesus, can't you pick a better time for this? But they were servants. They did it. They took the water and then Jesus said, take the water and now take it to the, to the headmaster, take it to the one overseeing the reception and, and just do this. And, and the whole thing made no sense at all and yet Jesus is the one commanding them. So they did it, they did it in faith. They take these water basins to the man who's overseeing the reception and the Bible says he dips in and he drinks and what is it? It's wine. He had, Jesus had turned the water into wine and literally the headmaster stopped and said, what is this? Most people serve the best wine at the first, but you have waited until now and you served it even now. Why was it the best? Because it was the impossible. It was what only Jesus could do. So Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying it's in that context of being a servant. A servant does what they're called to do, what they're told in this context to do. What Samuel's saying here when he says, speak for your servant is listening, he is saying, Jesus, it's not about, Lord, it's not about my will. It's not about what I want. I wanna hear what you have to say. I am your servant. I am about your will. I am willing to do whatever you call me to do. But here's what I love about it. What I love about it is this. I love the timing of this. Notice Samuel is surrendering to the Lord before he even knows what the Lord is going to require of him. I don't know if that challenges you like it does me, but it challenges me because here's the reality. I feel like so often in my mind, I wanna say, Lord, would you show me? Lord, would you show me? Would you spell it all out for me? Lord, put the 30 steps on the table, so to speak, and then I'll figure out what we can do. 
Lord, show me the direction and then I'll figure out what's convenient, what's easy, what doesn't require so much. God, would you just reveal these things? And then ultimately what we're saying in our actions in that moment is we'll determine if we want to do it or not. You know what Samuel's doing in this moment? Samuel's putting his yes on the table to say, I trust you and I'm willing to follow you, whatever it would be. He is completely surrendered to the Lord. He is looking at the Lord and he's putting his yes completely on the table. It is a beautiful picture of surrender. The third thing we must do is this. If we're gonna have a right response to God's word, yes, it's true, we must surrender. But third, I wanna say this, we must fully receive the word of God. We must receive the word of God. We see that in the context of this next statement. He said, speak for your servant is what? He's listening. Uh, To put it in our terminology today, he's fully attentive. He is all ears. He is focused in. He is in tune. In essence, he is saying, Lord, I am here, and I don't want to miss what you have for me. I don't want to miss a single word. I don't want to miss a single moment. God, I'm completely in tune with you. I am listening. I'm ready to receive. It's interesting to note that in the New Testament in James chapter 1, that's exactly the same verbiage in reception that we would see in James chapter 1 where the Bible said this. Therefore, we are to be putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Receive the word implanted. James here is describing something that is sown within our hearts, something that is planted deep within. Picture, if you will, a a seed or picture a plant, if you will, that's being planted within. The word of God is like a living plant. And if it's planted in our hearts, please understand, it will take root and it will bring life and it will bring fruit as it changes everything about our being and our behavior. Many times we think that we are receiving God's word simply when we hear it. Maybe we go to church, we hear a message, and we hear something, we say, well, amen. We think we received it. Many times we might listen to a worship song, and Pastor Scott might share a testimony and share a verse of scripture, and maybe it's something that inspired or something we needed in that moment, and we'll say, yes, that, that makes me feel good, and that might happen in that moment. We might leave and turn on the television or turn on the radio or flip the stations and we'll hear someone else speaking a word of testimony and we might in that moment feel inspired or feel challenged or feel good about it. But please understand this morning, our listening and our good feeling isn't the same as simply receiving the word of God. When we receive the word of God, it will evidence itself in our actions. Yesterday afternoon, I was at home with our family and one of our children, I won't tell you who, One of our children, I I looked at them and I said, hey, uh, I I need you to go outside and give the sheep fresh water. We've got a few sheep in the backyard. I need you to go give them fresh water. And the child said, yes, sir. And then I looked at another child and said, hey, I I need you to take the trash out. Yes, sir. And I looked at another child, I I need you to to wash the dishes. And so three of my four children had a, a task to be done. Now, to be clear, I didn't tell them when to do it, okay? I just gave them a task to do, a chore to do, if you will. And there were a few things going on throughout the day. And about three hours later, we're having a conversation. And I asked my one child, as I'm looking at the trash, trash bag, still sitting in the kitchen, did you take the trash out? Of course, it was quiet. Did they hear what I asked them three hours ago? Yes, but did they receive it? No. I asked my other child, <laughs> Did you go water the sheep? 
At which time that child realized, I've had the water hose on for three hours. <laughs> oh, that child watered them all right. I didn't even have to ask about the dishes because it was clear that that child had done it. Which of the ones had received it? The ones that acted upon it. See, the reality is we often think, well, I received God's word. Wow, I mean, that was powerful. That was inspiring. That was encouraging. That was this. That was that. This made me feel a certain way. But here's the reality. We only receive God's word when, like a plant within our life, it brings fruit. It brings evidence of change, evidence of action, demonstration of obedience. Are you receiving God's word? I love the illustration from Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2 because the Bible tells us that when God speaks through his word, he does so really as we're willing and ready to receive it. Habakkuk chapter two, or according to my Old Testament professor from seminary, Habakkuk. He was wrong, by the way. Habakkuk sounds better. Listen to Habakkuk's commitment to receive the word of God. Here's what he said. He said, I will stand on my guard post. I will station myself on the rampart and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me, how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Habakkuk, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it for it will certainly come. It will not delay. You know what I love about this passage of scripture? Habakkuk is saying, I am committed. I will stand on guard. I'm gonna station myself on the rampart. I'm gonna keep watch to see what the Lord will speak to me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, I'm at attention. Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive. God, would you show me what you would have me to do? I wonder this morning, could it be that so many times in our life we miss the will of God and the word of God? Because we're so busy and so distracted and so inundated with all the other messages of the world that we're not willing to be still and listen to the still, small voice of God. It's amazing that in the average Christian life, we might know every sports statistic Every new political argument, every new angle, every new popular thing on social media, everything of a buzz in the world, and not know the simplicity and truth of the Word of God. Are we truly ready to receive God's Word? Well, Samuel, in that moment, said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And in that moment of surrender, God, I'm ready to receive. I'm ready to hear whatever you have for me. I'm ready to do whatever you'd have for me to do. In that moment of surrender and receptiveness, God begins to speak. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. God's message for Samuel wasn't easy. God didn't say, Samuel, I'm going to make you great. Samuel, I'm going to make you the next prophet. Samuel, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to bless you in this way. I'm going to give you your best life now or whatever the case might be. He didn't promise those things. Here's what God said. He said, Samuel, I have a hard message for you. I know you're just a young boy, but here's what's happening. I'm about to do something in Israel that everyone will be shocked about, but that is this. I have rejected Eli from being my priest. 
Why? Because his sons have sinned against me. They have dishonored me. And Eli knew all about it. And Eli refused to rebuke them. He refused to remove them. And as a result, sin has continued there in the temple. They have defiled and dishonored my name. And listen, God was at such a place with them and how they had dishonored his name that God literally says, the time is up. They've had time to repent They've had time to return to me. I've given them opportunity after opportunity. I have already even warned Eli, but he's continued to not act. He's continued to not do. And as a result, my judgment is coming. And nothing will change what I've determined. Can I just say time out for just a moment? This is not the main focus of this message, but can I just say to you this morning, the Bible says of Eli that he knew he was sinning. This morning, if you're here today and you know that you're sinning against God. If you're here this morning and you know that there are things in your life that are not pleasing to God, if you know there are things that you need to repent of and turn from, I'm telling you this morning, there is nothing that will be on your heart and mind right now that God can't forgive you of and God can't cleanse you of right now while he's given you opportunity. But you're not guaranteed another opportunity. God speaks to Samuel. I have rejected Eli and his sons and my judgment is coming. They could have repented and been renewed, but they refused to do so. And so God speaks these strong words to Samuel. Samuel goes and lays back down. He had received the word of God. Now, I'm going to just tell you, I can't imagine being Samuel in that moment. I can't imagine being a young boy like he was, middle school age boy, dealing with the weight of the word that God had just spoken to him. What was he to do with that? I mean, what, what was he to say or do? I mean, he's in a moment where he's really having to grasp and, and kind of battle. Do I believe God's word? Is this really going to happen? And what am I to do with this? Am I to tell Eli, Eli or not? Like, and what does this mean for me? If God's rejecting him as the priest, what does that mean for me? Is there gonna be another priest? And does this mean that I'm gonna be kicked out of the temple? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I believe in that moment, Samuel went to lay down to bed, but man, he was likely very restless as he waited all. Next morning, the Bible says he gets up. He didn't boast, hey, I got a word from God. No. I've had a fresh vision from the Lord. No. He gets up, he goes and he opens the doors. He opens the doors so that people can come in and worship. But immediately, here comes Eli. He asked the question, Disney. Verse 16, Eli called Samuel. Verse 17, he asked, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. Well, what's Samuel to do? Do I trust God's word? Do I tell Eli? Here's what he does, even in the midst of a heavy weight. 12 years old, verse 18. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. What's the fourth application to God's word? It's very simple, isn't it? We must obey the word of God. See, Samuel understood in this moment that this word that God had given him that night in the temple when he couldn't sleep, when God called him and spoke, Samuel understood that this was not a word just for him, but it was also a word for Eli. Please understand this morning that when God reveals his word to us, it is rarely, if ever, just for us. His word may speak directly to us in our current situation, but he usually speaks to us so that he may also speak through us. 
So in this moment, as Eli comes and says, Samuel, please tell me, tell me the whole truth. God didn't speak to me last night, Samuel, but he spoke to you. So, so would you reveal to me, what did God say, even though the message was heavy, even though it was difficult? Samuel didn't excuse God's word. He didn't water it down to make it easy. He didn't try to twist it and spin it and turn it to avoid something that was difficult. No, I believe Samuel with great grace, but also a great truth, simply proclaimed everything that God had told him. He hid nothing from him. In other words, he trusted God's word. He trusted God with the outcome of his word, and then he revealed it. He related. He obeyed what God had put upon his heart to do. Can I say to you this morning that that's what God is calling us to do? That when God speaks and when God directs and when God convicts in our life, when God speaks through his word, he's calling us not to just be oohed and awed by it, to feel good about it, but to obey it in our lives. James chapter one, verses 22 through 25 says it this way, but prove yourselves, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude or deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You know, God is saying, God is saying, don't just be a hearer of the word. Anybody can do that. Be a doer of the word. Obey it in your life. Here's the final point. I'm gonna ask Pastor Scott to come on out and begin playing. Here's the fact of the matter. Yes, there's a priority of a right response to God's word, but please don't miss this. I want you to consider the profit of a right response to God's word. How does it benefit us? Sometimes people hear the idea of obeying God's word and they feel like, well, that's a major challenge. That's a heavy burden. Man, that's a lot to obey. But here's the reality this morning. The reality is, is that God begins to also demonstrate to us the incredible benefit in our life when we obey God's word. Notice what the scripture says in verse 19. It summarizes it in one simple way. The Bible says this, thus Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fail. The profit of a right response to God's word. Here it is. It's really simple. Because Samuel obeyed God's word, Samuel, the Bible says, grew and the Lord was with him. Now, he didn't stay a 12-year-old boy like he became a teenager and then he became a man. Yes, but that's not what the Bible's describing here. When the Bible says that Samuel grew, it's talking about the way that he grew spiritually. It's talking about the way that he grew in his relationship with God. He grew in his knowledge of God. He grew in his knowledge of God's word. He grew in his obedience to God. He grew in his faith in God. In fact, we begin to see as you read throughout Samuel's life that it seemed like step after step after step, moment after moment, situation after situation, he's continually growing and continually being used by God. Why? Because he made himself surrendered and obedient to the word of God. You know what's interesting? Is that the Bible tells us, literally in the very next chapter, by the end of 1 Samuel 4, Eli the high priest had died. And now the next leader that God had appointed 
was this man by the name of Samuel. Now, we don't know exactly how much time had passed. We don't know how old he was when that happened, but here's what we do know. What we do know is he grew to a place spiritually where he was able to lead and he was able to minister. And in this context, he was even able to judge. Why? Because he had made himself surrendered to the word of God and he grew. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says it this way. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Why? So that by it, you may grow in respect to salvation. And a lot of us, we want to grow, don't we? But here's the key. There's no shortcut. Here's the key to growth. Surrender yourself to God and his word and obey. But notice what the other prophet of that is. Not only did he grow, but the Lord was with him. The idea here is that the Lord revealed himself to him. The Lord showed Samuel, Samuel, I am with you. I'm going to take care of you. Samuel, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to direct you. I'm going to bless you. And in the following verses, God confirmed to all the people around him that he was chosen and commissioned to be a prophet of God. In other words, Samuel, I'm not just going to grow you, but I'm going to reveal myself to you and I'm going to reveal myself through you as long, just keep trusting me. You know what's crazy is that when you study Samuel's life from this point forward, we see him constantly in a place where God's raising him up, God's using him, God's blessing him. You know why that's the case? It's so simple, but it's true. It's because at every turning point, at every moment, and at every season, he was willing to set aside his will and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. No, you won't see it in those exact words, but in every season and situation, here's what we find. We find him looking to the Lord and the Lord giving him instruction. And when God gave instruction, you know what he did? He went and he did it. It's that simple. He sought the Lord, he discerned God's will, and he obeyed. It's that simple. What do you learn from Samuel? You learn to seek the Lord, trusting his word, and obeying. This morning, right where you're at today, I don't know what areas in your life you need to seek the Lord, but God does. Man, if you're busy, caught up with all the rush and distractions of life, I think God's calling us. I I don't know about you, but I can only speak for myself. I need to hear that in my life. To make sure in the midst of all the craziness that I'm setting aside that priority and that time with him to be still get in his word and hear his voice there may be some of you here today frankly the message about Samuel doesn't speak to you but man the warning about Eli and his sons does this morning I don't know how God is speaking to you but I pray that each of us would be willing to hear the Lord's voice we'd be willing to respond with surrender and obedience letting God have his way in our life God doesn't want us just to hear it wants us to receive it and to respond in obedience. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.